The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Another five to four decision down ideological lines from the Supreme Court in its final day of the term. Labor unions lost and the Trump administration won as the court ruled that government employees have a constitutional right not to pay union fees, overturning 40 years of precedent. Joining me is Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. Greg, tell us about the opinion. Hi, June. Yeah, as you said, five to four, Justice Sam Alito wrote the majority opinion, excuse me, for the conservatives. Um, He said that uh, when uh, unions take positions in collective bargaining, they are taking positions on matter of public concern. And for that reason, workers have a First Amendment right not to contribute to, to that work of the union, even though the union is doing things that might also benefit the workers. Justice Elena Kagan wrote for the minority, in opinion with some fervor, she said, there's no sugarcoating today's opinion. The majority overthrows a decision entrenched in this nation's law and its economic life for over 40 years. Tell us about what she talked about, that overthrowing of the Abood decision. Yeah, the Abood decision is a 1977 ruling that that said that public sector unions could collect what are known as agency fees uh, from non-members, from employees who who, who say, I don't want to belong to the union, but the the union could still require them to pay for the cost of collective bargaining. That 1977 ruling did put some limits, said that workers don't have to fund ideological or political activities. And the Supreme Court today said that was a bad decision. We are throwing it out. And in Justice Kagan's decision, she said this is going to have pretty dramatic consequences for the ability of uh, governments to manage their workplaces. Um, they might, she said, lose the ability to have a single union uh, that they know represents all the all, all the workers in the in the workforce. Um, and there could be all sorts of uh, consequences that that we're going to have to learn about down the road. Greg, this ruling really wasn't a surprise. It wasn't like the travel ban because of the history of this case. Tell us about that history. Yeah, this was this was uh, about the most expected decision of the term, although it <laughs> took a while to get it out. The court had been considering this issue a couple years ago when Justice Scalia was on the court, and it looked like they were poised to issue a decision much like this, a 5-4 decision that would have overturned the boot and said workers have a free speech right not to pay these fees. Uh, and then Justice Scalia died. And the court uh, ended up splitting evenly four to four in that case. So uh, once uh, Donald Trump was able to fill that vacancy with with Justice Neil Gorsuch, the conservatives had their fifth vote. The court agreed this term to take up this case. And, uh, you know, the only hope for for the liberals seemed to be winning over Justice Gorsuch, who, of course, is a a rather conservative justice. And uh, indeed, he he did what was expected and joined the conservatives uh, to overturn the Abood decision. 
There were a series of five to four victories for conservatives this term and several in controversial cases like yesterday's travel ban. You wrote a story analyzing this entitled, When it comes to Donald Trump, the U.S. Supreme Court apparently is as divided as the rest of the country. Tell me about the analysis you went through there. Yeah, well, so I, I, I'm still looking into this today. Obviously, the Trump travel ban decision divides the court five to four. You have the five Republican-appointed justices on one side, the four uh, Democratic-appointed justices on the other time. And uh, this is a pattern that has uh, dominated this, this term. Um, th- th- we haven't had any of those cases where Justice Anthony Kennedy joins the liberals in a, in a five-four uh, majority. So on the travel ban, on these union fees, uh, the, the American Express antitrust case the, the other day, uh, tech, a Texas voting district uh, uh, gerrymandering case the court decided uh, earlier this week, the case involving anti-abortion pregnancy centers. I mean, I, the, the list goes on and on. Uh, the, 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 the very important cases that were decided by that, that single vote. Greg, you mentioned Justice Kennedy, who was, you know, the swing vote and is seen as the swing vote. He's, he's, everyone says he might be retiring. We don't know if he, he will or not. Probably not, right, today. But As of, as of now, no. Okay. So but is he getting more conservative in his thinking, or is it just the kinds of cases that are facing the court? Yeah, a big part of it was the kind of cases. So, um, uh, you know, one case I didn't mention, a case involving uh, arbitration agreements signed by employees. Uh, Justice Kennedy uh, joined the majority to say that companies can enforce those arbitration agreements and prevent workers from from uh, uh, filing class action lawsuits. Well, that's, that's a kind of issue that the court has dealt with repeatedly. Uh, we know that Justice Kennedy is with the conservatives on that. Um, the biggest surprise this term from Justice Kennedy, I think, was that in some of those cases where liberals sometimes can can get him on their side, uh, the case involving the the, the baker uh, who uh, didn't want to make cakes for same-sex weddings, uh, the cases involving partisan gerrymandering, those seem like at least opportunities for the liberals to 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 uh, to. to persuade Justice Kennedy to, to be on their side, and those could have been significant victories for the left. Both of those issues, the, the court uh, essentially punted, didn't come out with anything big. So uh, on the, uh, in the cases that mattered, it was, it was the cases where Kennedy was with the conservatives where the court ended up doing something big. All right, Greg, a much-deserved vacation coming up for you. <laughs> Thank you so much for all your reporting this term. That's Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. Attorney General Jeff Sessions held firm over the Trump administration's zero-tolerance immigration policy at a law enforcement conference in Nevada on Monday. The president has made this clear. We're going to continue to prosecute those adults who enter here illegally. We are going to do everything in our power, however, to avoid separating families. Sessions now has no choice whether he feels it's in his power or not. A California federal judge has given the Trump administration two weeks to reunite immigrant children under the age of five who were separated from their families at border crossings and 30 days to reunite children five and older. Judge Dana Sabra has also ordered the administration to stop detaining parents without their children and to stop deporting parents who've been separated from their children. Joining me is Lori Nessel, director of the Center for Social Justice at Seton Hall. 
Hall University School of Law. Lori, the judge blamed the Trump administration. Tell us how he described what he called the chaotic circumstance. Sure. I mean, the the situation, um, you know, which has, has gotten a lot of um, of coverage, is that children were being, you know, torn away from their parents at the border, and um, you know, as as also has been made publicly um, available, is that children have gotten lost by and large in the system. It was a you know an attempt to criminalize all immigrants, asylum seekers at the southern border, take their children away as a means of trying to deter people and send a message that they shouldn't be coming to this country, even if they fear for their lives. And it was done in such a way that there's been incredible anguish and trauma and and thousands of children, many of whom are unaccounted for. And the judge also said that the government has an, has an affirmative duty to reunite parents with their children. But he, he also pointed out that the government takes account of property all the time of, of defendants in cases and never loses the property. How did they lose the children? Right. Well, well, and what this really raises is that, I mean, these are human beings, right? And they're coming to our country largely to seek protection from an incredibly dangerous conditions in their home country. And we do, the government has an obligation both under international law and under our immigration laws to treat people with dignity and to provide them in a humane way with a chance to seek protection. They don't have to be granted protection, but they have to be allowed to seek protection. And so by um, doing away with any form of discretion and completely criminalizing this population, uh, what's happened is that it just, you know, that we've seen this in so many other instances with this administration. Things are not thought out or, or planned. It's just an announcement that's made. And then there, there, it wasn't done with the proper agencies. And, and it wasn't clear what was happening to these children, where they were being sent, who was ultimately responsible. Um, you know, it's, it's an incredible, incredible, um, you know, crisis and, and really dark moment in our history that, that this has happened and it's happening. So what happens now that the judge and the judge said he felt that he needed to issue an order? Now he has this order, which is pretty stark as to what has to happen. But will the government be able to do that? Well, that, that's a good question. I mean, so there is now, like you say, there's an order, there's a very set amount of time in order to reunify these traumatized children with their traumatized parents. Um, but yeah, it's going to take some work in terms of tracking them down. I know that um, lots of the not-for-profit organizations around the country are um, really pitching in in terms of trying to get information and interview kids and locate and um, you know, making efforts to try to make sure that families can be reunited. The judge was very specific in his order. He said that in his decision as well, he said that it's not enough that the the government gives out 800 numbers that don't answer. Right. They have to make an affirmative, they have an affirmative duty to actually reunite the families. And, and that's more than the government has accepted in the past. Exactly. And, and, and the, I mean, what that points to is that, I mean, this is, the, the family separation is, um, you know, is, is horrific. But it comes on top of a system that already has so many problems and where there's a, just a lack of basic fairness throughout. So, for example, 
a big part of the problem is that there's no right to have a lawyer if you can't afford one in these proceedings. And as we know, the president has recently said, well, let's not even give them any due process. Let's not have people even go before a judge before they're deported. And so it all really comes together to make this incredibly chaotic situation. Because if there were an orderly process, if there were more immigration judges, another thing that the administration has been against doing, increasing the number of immigration judges, if there was a right to have a lawyer present so that these people, both the adults and their children, could understand what's at stake, um, then there would be much easier to reunite, much easier to, to do things in the proper way. But the problem now is that all of those pieces come together and create this storm where we have this, this humanitarian crisis of lost children. So, Lori, in light of the judge's order, can the Trump administration continue with the zero tolerance policy or does the judge's order actually circumvent that? Well, so so there 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 are a couple of different pieces of of litigation. The um the injunction that was issued today um is is specific to saying that the um that the government can't detain parents without their children unless um, there's a finding that the parents are unfit or pose a danger. And then, as you mentioned, there's the specific time frames for the need to reunify. Um, however, the injunction, and again, it's just the injunction, the case will go forward, um, doesn't doesn't go as far as to say that the entire process has to stop or that families can't be detained. Now, there is other litigation. Um, there was a lawsuit um, that 18 different states across the country joined in that was filed yesterday. Um, and we'll have to see what happens with, with that litigation because that, um, that requests broader relief in terms of really um, asking for um, the whole criminalization and denying asylum seekers the chance to seek protection um, be enjoined. We have about a minute here. Uh, President Trump has made the distinction at times between families crossing into the U.S. illegally between checkpoints and those who are requesting asylum at the border crossings. But the judge didn't make that distinction. What do you, what's your reaction to that? Right, because the, and and that it's a problem that that what should happen is that again under under our law, our domestic law as well as international law, anyone that's seeking protection should be given that right to seek protection. But because the administration has been completely undermining that legal right, it's impossible to tell then who's in need of protection, who's coming for economic reasons, or some mix. Um, but the issue is that you know that uh, according to this injunction, everyone who wants to seek protection, who came here because their lives in danger, ha- should be given the opportunity to do that. Well, that's- Lori, we'll have to leave it there. Okay. There's so much to discuss on this topic because there is a lot of confusion. That's Lori Nessel. She's director of the Center for Social Justice at Seton Hall University School of Law. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.